Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We'll be reading from... uh be reading from Acts 18, uh, verse 1 to 11. Uh, if you're reading along in your church Bibles, it's on page 900. Otherwise, it'll be behind me on the screen. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles." Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the Word of God. Morning, everyone. It's great to be here, start of a new year, uh, normally at church here. If you're regular, you'd know this, but if you're visiting, normally we go through books of the Bible to get the most out of God's Word, to understand the context. Uh, And next week, we're starting a series uh, through the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians, So what we're doing this week is having a bit of a look at what is the background to this letter, this church. We need to understand Corinth. So this week we're starting in the book of Acts, what we just had read to get some background. So if you're a part of growth groups, our growth groups uh, study the same passage as we talk on Sunday. So next week we start a series on 1 Corinthians. There'll be study growth group books next week through for the first section, first four chapters we're doing uh, this first term of 1 Corinthians. But this week, as Josh mentioned, growth groups are going back. So if you're a part of a growth group this week, what are you doing? Well, we've given you uh, just a one-off study for this week to talk about growth groups, a bit of a kick-off for the year. So if you're a part of a growth group, grab one of those studies in the foyer or where you get your coffee after the service. Uh, and that's just for this. That'll get through this week. Next week, we'll have uh, the study books for the whole term ready to go. If you're a growth group leader, you might grab a few extras for some other people as well in the foyer uh, where you get your coffee. I want to pray now that God will help us understand this passage so that we might be more engaging with what he's doing in the world. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, just thank you for your word that you speak to us even though it's some 2,000 years from Jesus that we have so much to learn. We have so much to know about you and how to draw near to you and to know how you're working in us and the world. So we pray now that you'd help us to to listen well, to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. 
There's something about the cancer, uh, cancel culture that I actually love. The cancel culture, is you just have this power to remove anything you don't like. It's a little bit like having the TV remote. You don't like something, you turn it off. I don't have to listen to it, I don't have to gauge with it. It might as well not even exist for like, I want to listen to this other channel, this other version of the news or news stories that I do like. I turn it off, turn it on. So what would you do if you had this remote to the cancel culture? What would you cancel in your life? For me... It's soccer. So I'm not a big fan of soccer. And don't get me wrong, I've been to a lot of soccer games. This photo is actually my daughter, Ash. She made the Queensland soccer team through school. She did very well. I've seen, I've seen a lot of soccer. I'm happy to cancel soccer. It's dead to me. In fact, this photo... Uh, I don't want to cancel Ash, by the way. I'm not cancelling Ash. But I, this photo of Ash in her peak of her career playing soccer is actually in our laundry. I'm happy not to look at it, because what is if anybody wants to talk to me about football, it's NRL. Soccer doesn't exist. Dead to me. Cancelled. And we have the power to do this. We have the power to cancel lots of things. As a nation, we've just had Australia Day. Are we going to cancel Australia Day or not? That's the big discussion. The monarchy. Cancel, not cancel. We have the power to do it. People in your life that... You know, giving you a hard time. I can cancel it. I defriend you, stop following you, not going to listen to you. Dead to me. Cancelled. It's easy. This cancel culture is very attractive. But it's not just on or off. It's you choose your own version of it. Come up with your own truth. Not one truth, other people's truth. Come up with your own truth. So you've got options. I choose the truth I want. My truth, when it comes to morals, this is what I think is good for me and this is what I want. It's my truth. Gender, I can choose gender now. I can choose religion. Many religions. This religion or this religion, cancel the others. How about I come up with my own religion, my own belief system, my own spirituality. I just cancel all the others, tune into what I want to listen to, what I want to think about. I can get my own version of it. There's something attractive about it. To know, turn off what you want, to listen and act, to be affirmed all the time by your own standards. But see, what effect would that have on a church? If we did a case study of a church like ours, dropped into a culture that has this cancel culture attitude, what impact would it have on a church if we did this case study? Because somehow this is not a futuristic idea. The cancel culture is growing. What will the church look like in the future? But actually, if you want to see what it looks like, you can actually look back. Because in the Bible, there is a city where the cancel culture is thriving. And a church has been put there. It's a church in Corinth, New Testament, nearly 2,000 years ago. We get all this background of what happened to this church living in the city that exists with this cancel culture. So this is why uh, it's important to go. In the, Paul's letter that we're going to get into next week and for on, uh, he refers to a lot of things that it means for them in their church. When you determine truth, it's not, I determine truth on what Jesus says. Some say, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas. I like what this guy says. Not too crash hot on this guy. I cancel him. I'm going to follow Apollos because he says what I want to hear. They determine their own truth. 
They come up with their own motto. We have the right to do anything. So there's a whole lot of confusion then. Paul will write a lot about marriage and divorce because they're like, I can do what I want. They have a lot of confusion about gender roles with males and females. They have a lot of confusion about sexuality because there's such a sex culture. One guy's even sleeping with his stepmom. And Paul addresses that. He says, what's, what's going on here? You actually are proud that this is happening. See, how can a child church be proud for one guy sleeping with his stepmom? There's a whole, in the cancel culture, anything goes. I'll cancel that because I want to do that. But the whole church has taken this on board. This is, this is going to be a crazy series, this crazy letter, this crazy church. All this stuff is happening. What's it got to do with us? What's it got to do with us so many years later? Because we're going to spend a bit of time in Corinthians. Why? It's because our culture might be a bit more like Corinthian culture than we realise. Or maybe our church might be a little bit more like the Corinthian church than we want to admit. We actually need to look at the cultural setting of what was going on in this church and what is going on in the church to understand ourselves better, to understand our culture better. So we need to have a closer look because there's a lot to learn from it for us today. So next week we start off a series. Today we're just looking at what's going on in Corinth. What is this city all about? So we're looking at uh, this, where Paul's planting this church in Corinth. And uh, we're going to understand why this church is so crazy. There's a good reason they're doing all these crazy things. We're also going to understand why is God so concerned with this city and this church? Why does God care about this, this craziness? So we had the passage read out for us earlier. This is in Acts 18, where Paul, Paul's a Christian guy, was a Jew, was a Jewish leader, uh, met Jesus, become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and now he's travelling around telling people about Jesus. He was in Athens, turns up into this uh, Roman city of Corinth. Uh, and there he met two people, a couple of Jews, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, they're tent makers, and he joins with them for work. So he's rocked up to this city, got a job, uh, and he's trying to just fit in, get the lay of the land. We need to understand, what is the sort of... What has he just walked into? Because this city is different to any other city in the Roman Empire. It's first century, about 51 AD. I'll explain that a bit later. But it's, it's so different. It's actually known as, well, we would know it as, the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. Las Vegas no, is Sin City. This is known. If you go to Corinth, you're going to Sin City. Why do they say this? Let's do a little bit of a tour, a little bit of a journey in history to go back what Corinth was like in the first century. There's three things we want to say about the features of it. The first thing is, it's where the action is. It's where the centre of religion is. It's also the centre of sport. So when you go into the city, uh, it, it's part of Greece, so it's a Greek city says so lots of marble the first thing you see is the really tall temples there's temples everywhere there's 33 temples and shrines uh, within Corinth this one uh, is the temple of, Apo of Apollos uh, it's right in the center of the city uh, they've had wars and earthquakes that's why the, lots of stuff is scattered on the ground not much is built up 
This is in the centre of the city. Big temple, Apollos. You need to go and worship there. Also in the background, so Corinth is down the ground, there's this big mountain that overlooks uh, Corinth. And on the top of the temple, uh, top of the building, was uh, the temple of Aphrodite. He's the god of love. This is a picture of what they think it would look like. It was a huge temple. And on top of that, because of the god of love, uh, they had up to a thousand prostitutes working in there. So you go to have sex with a temple prostitute to please the god to make your life better. Um, more into that as we get into Corinthians. But this, she was a big god, big prominent, overlooking the city. You walk the mountain uh, to worship that god. There's also the emperor was a god as well. This is also near the centre of the city, rebuilding some of the ruins, but they're the prominent ones. There's also a, a key feature in Corinth that a few other cities had, and this was a temple of Eclipius. Uh, this, he was known for the god of healing. This is the biggest temple of Eclipius that they've found in the Roman Empire. Uh, it's just a floor thing now, they can map it out. But the thing that archaeologists have found there is this collection of body parts made of clay. So if you had an injury, say if you lost a hand in a sailing accident, you would go to Corinth, you would buy some, you'd get somebody to make up a clay hand for you, you'd go to the temple, go to the priest, because there's no hospitals in the first century. There's even no doctors in the first century that are set up as medical practitioners, what we would know in the West now. But you'd get a limb made up, you would go to the temple... And you would live there and live with the priest and you'd give them the limb that you wanted repaired. Uh, I know it's a small picture there, but there's also a couple of heads on the shelf, you'll notice. On the back of those heads, the back of the skull is removed and there's a cast of a brain in there. So assuming people even with brain injuries would go to Corinth, go to this temple. So if you had an injury... One of the places you'd go to, let's go to Corinth, it's like going to the specialist. I need to go to the specialist to get this fixed. Let's go to the temple, get my thing, get it fixed. So they've found all these body parts everywhere. This, you can see that the temple, it's not just a city with a few temples that a few people go to. No, no, this was a part of life. You, people went there as a pilgrimage to go to these temples, these gods. It was so important. In Paul's letter to the 1 Corinthians, uh, letter 1 Corinthians, his letter to them, uh, he also refers to temples because this is a part of their culture where he says, your body is a temple of God. Now you go, ah, oh, okay, I know what the temple, for me to go to that God, I've got to go to that temple. Paul says, no, no, you are the temple of, like this is radical. So you can see how this temple stuff is helpful for them to understand God. It's also a place, uh, Paul also talks about the church as a, as a body with many parts and no part is more important than the lesser. The Corinthians would know this more than anyone because they've got the biggest hospital in the empire. They go, oh, body parts, yeah, I need, I need my hand. I need that. So he knows these, they, they're familiar with these stories. It's not just where the action is for religion, the sport. See, in sport, uh, the biggest sporting game sport was big but the sports for them the biggest games in Greece uh, in that time was the Olympics been around forever biggest sport the sporting the athletics the wrestling all that been around for centuries these guys hosted the Isthmus Games 
They were the second biggest games in the world, held every two years, and thousands of people would come to Corinth to compete. So archaeologists have found different uh, layouts. The Greeks uh, had all the athletics. When the Romans moved in, uh, so Corinth was rebuilt by the Romans about 40 years before Jesus, they added uh, chariot racing and horse racing and other things like that, very Romanized. But this stuff ballooned. It, the Corinthians knew about sport. That's why Paul even used sporting illustrations. He says, we all know people train to win the prize. Go, yeah, every two years, all these athletes come. They're well trained. They, they're here to win the prize. He says, but I train to win a prize, not a, 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 a wreath, but an eternal prize. And they go, oh, these guys do all this for just a little thing that's going to fall apart in a week. Paul goes for eternal things. So sporting things, they get, and Paul talks their language because sporting was big. This is where it gets kind of really interesting. If you're a history nerd, I get excited about history a bit because what we're going to find out, this actually helps us date what was going on for Paul. Later on in our passage, it mentions um, the Roman governor and um, Gallio, and Gallio uh, was governor of this area in the year 51 AD. Romans were very good at their bookkeeping and record keeping, so we've got all these historical records. He only held that position for a bit over 12 months, so we can pretty much narrow it down to 51 AD. In 51 AD, what happened? The games were on. It happened every second year. We knew it happened in the 51 AD. What happens when thousands of people come into your town wanting temporary accommodation? They need tents. They're only here for a month or so to compete, so they need tents. What's Paul doing? He's coming along to Corinth. He's joined up with this couple, a couple of Jews, Priscilla and Aquila. They're tent makers. I can make tents. I'm going to, I'm going to get a job, get the lay of the land. They're in demand. Everybody wants a tent maker because the games are on. If, if the time is, it happens in that year, if Paul's there in the summer of uh, 51 AD, it's peak time for tent makers. He's in demand. So this is what's going on. It's, the, it's where the action is in Corinth. Corinth is also where dreams are made. You know, think of Las Vegas. Go there to make... Uh, to escape your poverty, people go there to get rich and they like to flaunt their wealth. So they had people, some of the best houses in Rome, in the Roman Empire, were in Corinth because they like to uh, just show off, wear the finest clothes, uh, do the finest thing. There's even signs, if you want to be prominent, you uh, make a sign and put it up for yourself. So there's all these signs like this one that talks about a guy, the sign basically says, um, uh, I can't remember his name now, but the guy, not that important, but he did live 2,000 years ago. I am thankful for the job I hold. He holds a government position and I paid for this road myself. So basically saying, this road is named after me, which is kind of saying, look at me. Look how rich I am. I paid for this road. You should be thankful for me. Look how prominent I am. So it's a place to go, I'm important. I'm superior to everyone else. But within that wealth is also a lot of slaves went to Corinth. They would make their money and buy themselves out of slavery. There's lots of stories about that in Corinth. So it's a place to be ah, for money, for prominence, but it's also a place to be if you're escaping persecution. Because, back to our passage, what did we see about Priscilla and Aquila? They're escaping persecution in Rome from Claudius. 
In Rome, the Jews weren't popular. About 15 years later, they're going to be feeding, feeding Christians to the lions. So in Rome, they're very aggressive against other beliefs. But where do they go? They go to another city in the Roman Empire, but here they are accepted. Which says something about the culture of Corinth. They've got this, we talked about it as, um, as the cancel culture, but it is that idea of, look, anybody is welcome here, don't judge me, I won't judge you, we will let you do your thing. If you are other gods, we've got all these temples, make more temples, it's all good with us, but don't tell us what to do, don't look down on us, just leave us alone and we'll leave you alone. It's that kind of attitude. So there's records of many Jews living in Corinth, and as long as they left the Corinthians alone, everybody was happy. That was, that was the arrangement. So this is where dreams are made, whether you're escaping poverty or escaping persecution, you want to go there. But for what happens, uh, in, but the other thing with Corinth is the other phrase that we're kind of all familiar with is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's the same as Corinth. Whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. It is that sort of city. Part of that reason is the geography and the makeup of who's in the city. So to take a step back a little bit, here's a map. Uh, the most familiar bit for me, at least, is the uh, Italy, the, the boot leg that comes down. You see Rome up in the corner. Uh, but then you've got all these cities around the Mediterranean Sea, Asia Minor, Israel, Egypt, they're all pretty big players in the world uh, economics and trade. Right at this time, first century, peak of the Roman Empire, Rome is the centre. You want to trade with Rome, you want to get your goods to Rome, you want to buy goods from Rome, it's all good. Now, if you're in Egypt, Israel, Asia Minor, you've got a choice. Do you send your goods by boat across the Mediterranean Sea, which is known for its wild storms, and you're in a wooden boat built in the first century. You wouldn't do it today, but many boats sunk. So the strategy was follow the coastline where you're safe. You see that little bit of riding, little bit of blackness in the middle where Corinth is. There's something unique about that little bit of land space where if we zoom in, there's this bit of land, boats either have to go around in the deep Mediterranean Sea where there's storms and they might not make it, or they go into where Corinth is, where it's a six-kilometre stretch of land. You could follow the coastline in safety, take your boat into this harbour, unload your luggage, the stuff you want to trade, carry it across land for six kilometres and load it onto another boat on the other side. It avoids all the danger, except you've got to unload your stuff. There's stories about some ships unloading their stuff taking it along the road to the other side, six kilometres the other side, and then they bring their boat over. Sometimes they would bring their boats across the land because it was just much safer. This was such a good idea. Today, there's a canal built through the, through the, um, through the land, the six-kilometre stretch, but it's only been there 150 years. The late 1800s that happened. But they did it manually by land, which meant if you were Egyptian from Israel, Asia Minor, you would 
mostly gather at this point because it's safe. So many cultures, many people, many backgrounds. But what the Romans did, they're not dummies. Romans are good at building roads, so they, they had a road put in. You can still see the road today. But they built this road, uh, that's the big hill behind it, along the six kilometres for people to travel on. But it leads to the centre of town. You must go through the centre of town for a couple of reasons. We want to show you our Roman superiority. You walk into town, big marble temples, big marble statues to the emperors. You know, we want you to see we're Rome. But they also, you might not be able to see, but near the guy's head... The road is not just flat, it's actually got stairs up to the marketplace. So you've got to take all your luggage through the marketplace. There's stairs, so you've got to unload your luggage off the cart to carry it. It's all designed to slow you down while you're in the city. So it's a good place. Why are we carrying this stuff? Let's trade it here. So it's a big trade centre. It's also a place that gets backlogged. Everybody's, we've got to wait for this guy to unload his stuff. This could take days. So in Rome, uh, in Corinth, you have these people from all over the world, they come, they bring their stuff, and all of a sudden they're stuck in Corinth for a couple of days, like you're stuck in the airport with travel complications. What do you do? If you stay there longer, you spend more money. When you spend more money and you stay there longer, you start living the lifestyle. You're picking up the Corinthian lifestyle, which, again, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. For many sailors who might have a wife and family at home living a good moral life, they're in Vegas. We're stuck here for a few days. We will do things in that scenario that we wouldn't do at home. They want to stay anonymous, live like the Corinthians. Uh, or they could be there because first century, first century Roman Empire, they liked prominence. They would uh, make themselves indulge. So they would buy fine clothes and they would go to fine places, sort of make themselves more important than they really are, you might say. Because it's Vegas. You do those things. But this got a reputation. In the Roman Empire, there are a couple of sayings. One is that you live like a Corinthian, which means you've got no morals. You do whatever you want, whenever you want. Don't trust that sort of person because they live like a Corinthian. This is the Corinthian lifestyle. There was another phrase that if you were called a Corinthian girl, that means you're a prostitute. Prostitutes everywhere. You've got travellers going through, you've got the temple there. Sex was just out of control in this city. Corinth had this reputation. So Paul's letter spends a lot of time talking about sex and marriage, drunkenness, and uh, trying not to outdo others because that culture of the city had crept into the church. And you can see why. That's the culture of the city. We get a bit of a lay of the land for the city. Like, this is like Sin City is the nickname for it. Like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, where the action is, where you go to make your dreams come true. It's that sort of appeal. So how is Paul going to preach Jesus in this sort of setting? What does he do? He goes on uh, to test the waters, and he does that in his missionary trips. He first goes to the synagogues where the Jews are. The Jews are familiar with the Old Testament. All he's got to do is go, you know, the Old Testament's not about a bunch of rules, it's about Jesus and he's the Messiah. This is how the story unfolds. Every Sabbath, so every Saturday, goes to the synagogue to reason with them, persuade the Jews and Greeks. 
So he's not just going to the Jews, like the Hebrews from Israel, but uh, Greeks, like people from uh, outside of the Jewish traditions. When Silas... This reads like a bit of a diary, by the way, but it's interesting. When Silas and Timothy, some of his friends, come from Macedonia, other parts of the Bible talk about these missionary trips through Macedonia. Macedonia is a very generous church. They give to a lot of Paul's work and to a lot of things that are happening on in other churches in other cities. So when they come from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. He's no longer a tent maker. So we can assume that they probably brought money to keep him going, to fund his ministry. All of a sudden now he's a full-time missionary or minister preaching there. He's testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. That was a problem the Jews had. Love the Old Testament, love the rules. Jesus is the answer to that? Nah, not sure about that. Paul's challenging that idea. No, no, Jesus is truly uh, God's saviour. Uh, then they opposed Paul and became abusive to Paul. He shook out, this is a tradition I love in those days, if you hear something you don't like, you just shake off your clothes and go, no blood on my hands, bleed it, be it on your own head. I'm innocent of it, from now on I'll go to the Gentiles. The Jews have had their chance to respond, now I'm going to the rest of Corinth, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, I'm going to preach about Jesus there. And what happens, Paul leaves out of the synagogue, and you can imagine him walking out of the building, leaves the synagogue, Okay, where am I going to go? So it goes next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. I'm not sure whether he knew this guy beforehand or not, or just knocked on his door. But this guy's like, yeah, I, I want to know more about this God. I know this God of the Bible. Tell me about it. So he starts his church in the house right beside the synagogue. The irony is, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household... They're like, we're not staying in the synagogue, we're going to Paul's place. So they believed, and the, the, this is the synagogue leader, walks out on his group of people, joins the church and his family get baptised, we're a part of the church. Then others who heard Paul believed and were baptised. So God is growing this church, God is changing people's lives in this context. We see it happening. But God also comes to Paul with a special message Paul's been on this missionary journey where he goes to town, stays for a while, sets up a church, moves on. But God's got something different from here. The Lord, the Lord appears to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So God's calling him. I want you to stay. I want you to keep talking about me. I'm going to protect you in that. So Paul stayed there for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Not doing the other stuff at the temples, teaching them about Jesus. Paul's got, this is a special calling. Now, this actually says a lot about God, doesn't it? Remember where he's saying it? Sin city, people, sex out of control, drinking out of control. I forgot to mention in the marketplace, in the centre of town, where everybody would bring their goods, so it, it's about a city block in size, where everybody would come and gather, where all the action is, 33 pubs on that block. It, they can tell because a drinking centre would have a well where they keep their drinks cold. There's 33 wells around. This is like party time city. God would find a lot more cities that are more moral, 
possibly more open to the gospel, hearing about uh, spiritual things in other cities. But yet God says, I'm going, to spend, I'm going to send my best missionary guy into the most crazy city. What does that say about God? God says, just because they're living lives like that, they're living the Corinthian life. We know what that reputation means. God says, I have people there. I have people there. They just need to hear about Jesus. Paul, stay there. It says something about God's heart, doesn't it? No matter what you've done, no matter what story you've got, it doesn't scare God. God doesn't run away from what you've done in your life, but he actually pushes into it because he knows Jesus is the answer. We need to hear Jesus. So Paul will stay for 18 months in this crazy city telling people about Jesus. Why? God says, I have people there that need to hear this. Stay. But not all is good in Corinth. They are the cancel culture. So what are they going to do about it? This new message about a new Lord, a new Messiah. Paul gets cancelled. Well, they try to. Here's the detail. Why Gallio, uh, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, it means he's like the governor. This is the guy who was around in 51 AD, we know. Uh, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This is, again, in the city square, the market square, surrounded by temples. It's a crazy place. And they've come to the, with the accusation to the head chief, the head Roman guy in town. This man they charged, they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. They're talking about their law, their Jewish law. So this is a charge. We want him cancelled. You need to know how this feels. This is really intimidating. This is the layout of the centre of Corinth. We tell all this from the archaeological finds. But you can see there the road coming up from the bottom. That's the road from the port. Corinth has the two busiest ports in the Roman Empire, one at each end. So this is like the middle of it. You go in the road to the bottom, where does it take you? Go up the stairs and you're in the, the market square or the public square. In there you see it's surrounded by big temples. Temple of Polos, Temple of the Emperor. The big government house. So you're intimidated. This is Rome, the height of the building. All marble and bronze. In the middle of the market square, there's a little statue. It's not named there. It's a three-metre-high statue that uh, names a group of people. It says, we are the protector of one of the temples. And they said, if you disobey, if you disrespect this temple, you're disrespecting Rome. So they're like, you need to take the temple seriously, their religion seriously, otherwise you're against Rome. What's Paul doing? He gets marched past this thing going... You're talking about other things, not that you're going to be in big trouble. The thing that's named there, though, on the side is this thing, if, you can, if you've really got good eyes, the beamer. This is the judgment seat that happens, middle of the square, and the governor or the highest official would sit on this and he would look over his people and he would, um, <clears throat> if he spoke, everybody would have to pay attention. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of people around in the market square, doing their business, doing their trade. It's the centre of towns, where the action is. But if the Roman uh, governor spoke, everybody listened. Uh, he had two jobs, to either 
um, um, congratulate and build up and acknowledge people. So if the guy that built the road, Joe Bloggs, built, builds the road, he says, look, I want, I want to thank you publicly, bring you out in front of all the people. Joe Bloggs is such a great guy. He built the road for us. He made a sign, but I want you to acknowledge that. So this gives the Corinthian culture this, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that gets the credit. I want to be that everybody's applauding. So they want this credit. Or the governor gives condemnation. You deserve to be punished. So just beside this beamer seat where, where the judge is, uh, is a pole where people will get tied up and publicly flogged. So talking about the cancer culture, it's in, he's got the opportunity for Paul now to go, you're right, this guy's messing up our stuff. Publicly flog him. They would tie him up there on the pole in front of thousands uh, of people and publicly flogged there and then. We're going to cancel him and everybody's not. It's a very public environment, very intimidating environment. You are not in control. They can cancel you there and then. So what's it going to look like for Paul? Are they going to cancel him? Are they going to cancel the gospel right there and then? What happens? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go to my holiday pictures again. Sorry, I've never been there, but it does feel like a holiday slideshow, doesn't it? Um, well, the, the beamer seat still stands. It's got a plaque that says, you know, this is what it is. The pole is still there, although it's much shorter than what it is. So you can go and see. Paul was standing in front of there, literally, 51 AD. Uh, this was happening. But what happens next is Gallio going to cancelling. Um, oh, I should say, just as a point of interest, well, Gallio was promised... Where they bring him, they, in our English Bibles, they bring him to the place of judgment. In the Greek, it says they um, bring him to the beamer. So they're actually naming, they're bringing him to that spot, just that translators help us to understand. It's a seat of judgment. But he's literally standing in this spot. Charges are read out against him. Paul's about to defend himself. Just as Paul is about to speak... Gallio said to them, it's like, no, no, I don't need to hear your side of the story. He says, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor, as in a big, serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle this matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. And he told them to go away. So in this world of cancel culture, he's basic, this is a description of the cancel culture. You know, do whatever you want, but just don't hurt anyone. What's he saying? Has he hurt anyone? Has he done anything serious to, against anyone? Nah. Look, just go on your way. You Jews, you're just trying to stir up trouble. He's going to cancel the Jews. In fact, what happens when he says this, what happens to the Jews? The crowd, the thousands of people watching... Uh, then turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And what did the, they call for order, call for peace? No. Gallio showed no concern, whatever. Talk about cancer culture. We're not going to cancel Paul. He's not hurting him. You guys, you guys have been anointed. We're going to cancel you. So they all turned on the Jews. <laughs> Who would be a Jewish leader at those days? But they would, they've cancelled the Jews instead of cancelling Paul. Now, in a sense, God's got a sense of humour in this. But isn't this the way cancel culture works? Who knows what they're going to... But they're going to cancel someone 
Let's cancel the Jews. Now, what goes on from here? Paul goes on, plants a church, uh, moves on, stuff happens in the church, and he writes the letter to Corinth, uh, what we have, 1 and 2 Corinthians, which we'll be working into, to address the effect of the culture in the church. Why is this important for us today? I hope you're getting two things out of today. One is that we get a feel for Corinth, because we're going to spend in total about 24 weeks just working through 1 Corinthians this year and next. So not all in one here. A couple of terms this year, term next year. But it's helpful to know what is going on. What's the background? Why is, a, why is everybody okay with a guy sleeping with his stepmom? Ah, oh, it's Corinth. He's living like a Corinthian. And everybody's going, yeah, that's what we do around here. I get it now. So we can work through what does it mean for them, what does it mean for us? Because it's more complicated than just saying, don't do what he did. It's more complicated than that. So we need to get a feel for Corinth because we actually, in our city, have a lot of things like Corinth in our values and what we hang on to. See, even in Brisbane, we have this attitude of don't judge me and I won't judge you. Cancel what you want, just don't let it affect me. We have uh, recorded 11 consecutive years of increasing sexual abuse rape in this city. Uh, we are the highest ever. We also have uh, a growing um, late-night violence from drunkenness in the city. Doctors call it the 3am rush hour. You know, pubs are shut, everybody's fighting. We don't do anything about that. Well, we do hear politicians talking about, we are about to spend $1 billion upgrading a sporting stadium 15 minutes up the road at the Gabba. What does that say about the values of our city? We've got some pretty crazy mixed up values. What are we okay with? What are we not okay with? What are our priorities and morals as a city? Plus, when you drop the, the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, how is this received in the city? It's no surprise that people go, oh, you're about that Bible stuff. That's outdated. That's old cancel that it's not relevant to me anymore that should not surprise us in our current culture should not surprise us at all we need to get a feel of Corinth because we actually have a lot to do with Corinth but the second thing I hope you take away from today is that God has a heart for people in the city it's very easy for us as Christians to go city's bad sin city I don't want to live there. And we run from culture. We might even move from the city because we want the better life. We want the clean and pure life. So we'll run from culture. Where actually what God is doing, he says, no, no, no. I've got people in the city who need to hear about Jesus. So he runs to culture. Doesn't take on the culture, but he engages with culture to see some people know about Jesus. It's interesting we're talking about... Um, the mission day that Ben was talking about earlier, the meat and beer and conversations are the big three things. What are we trying to do? Engage people through those things. That's what we do. We talk when we're over food and maybe a drink. There's no drunkenness. We're not going to get carried away. But we're engaging with culture. We're trying to push into that space. That's what we're trying to do. This is what God's saying, I have people in the city. Don't move on quickly. Spend time there. Preach the word of God like Paul was doing. 
Because I have people there. I love. This is what we're about. This is what we need to do constantly. Look at the culture of the city. Look how God's word impacts that and engages that. God's word is not irrelevant, but super relevant. But we just need to engage people in that conversation. I hope that you're a part of that journey. The part of that journey with us as a Southside, as a mission to our community, but also in the short term, over the next uh, months and a couple of terms that we're into Corinthians, that you come along and come on the journey with us, where Paul describes, we're pulling this apart into three parts. We're questioning truth. That's the first part of Corinthians, where they talk about whose authority we're going to listen to. We're questioning freedoms, where they talk about all the sexual stuff. It's a second series. Uh, what am I free to do? Can't I just do what I want? Well, here's why. Uh, and then the third one, questioning church, because there's lots of crazy stuff going on in their church. We need to listen to that. So we've got three parts to this series where everything's up in the air. Let's question it with them. And let's engage with God's word. I invite you to be with us on that journey, engage with it. Can I pray for us now? Because I think like Corinth, um, there are lots of people like really living in the depth of the culture of the city and other people that can see the difference and much wiser. For us too, living in this city, we need the wisdom to discern how we're living in the city and how we listen to God. Can I pray for you now? Dear Father God, just thank you for this uh, little picture, this little window of life in Corinth 2,000 years ago. Lord, I just thank you for the research and work that people have done so we actually really know the city well. But Lord, help us to see that this is not irrelevant. This is not just a history lesson, but it's a story of our lives living in a city that just wants to cancel everything. Lord, help us to know what is truth, to discern what is your ways and the way you want us to live so we can glorify you and prosper in the city. So we commit ourselves to you no matter what path we're, we're on, no matter what journey uh, we've been doing in, in the past, but Lord, help us to look to the future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.